Community hearings into the proposed Northern Gateway Pipeline resume in Victoria this morning. There will be 16 days for oral presentations by individuals there, as well as here in Vancouver and in Kelowna. But for the first time since these hearings began, the Joint Review Panel has set up two venues. One is for people making oral presentations, the second for the general public. It's a move that's been criticized by many, but Enbridge also said it was surprised. Janet Holder is Vice President of Western Access for that company. It was an interesting move. It was, I think um, um, I was definitely surprised. I was not aware that they were thinking of doing this, and um, but there, clearly there was something that uh, made them think they should do this. And I mean, it, for us, uh, the importance of these statements are to uh, is for the three panel members to actually hear the statements, and they will do that. Uh, so I'm not sure it makes a lot of difference, at least to the process or to uh, Enbridge. Now, for his take on this and the history around the activism surrounding pipelines, we're joined by Sean Courage, who teaches Canadian and environmental history at York University in Toronto, and he's on the line with us now. Sean, good morning. Good morning, Rick. How unusual is it to split hearings like this? Uh, well, the last major uh, pipeline construction hearing process in Canada that we can sort of remember is in the 1970s, between 74 and 77, there were hearings into the uh, construction of a gas pipeline, uh, the Mackenzie Valley Gas Pipeline uh, in the north. Um, and uh, the hearings were considerably different because the audiences were a lot smaller in northern communities. This is sort of the biggest uh, urban-based uh, hearings. And so the dividing of the audience from the presentation is is unique and unusual. We haven't seen something like mm. this before. And now you've been keeping an eye on these hearings into the proposed Northern Gateway Pipeline. How do they compare with other hearings and other projects, similar projects in Canada? Uh, well, there's a, there's a lot of uh, unique uh, characteristics to these hearings. Um, the major difference between the Mackenzie Valley pipeline hearings and the hearings that are going on in British Columbia is, is about the product that's being shipped over the pipeline. The Mackenzie Valley pipeline was a, a natural gas pipeline uh, proposal, and this is a crude oil pipeline proposal. So the environmental risks associated with crude oil spills are considerably different uh, than the risks associated with the construction of nat- natural gas pipelines, and I think that's shaping some of the, uh, the opposition to the Northern Gateway pipeline. Are you surprised at how vocal the those against this pipeline have been? Uh, yes and no. I mean, historically, this is uh, quite different than the way Canadians thought about the relationship between natural resource extraction in the 70s and today. I think uh, our thinking about oil and gas development uh, has been shaped by a number of uh, catastrophic spills that have occurred within the last even just couple of years. Uh, Kalamazoo, Michigan, uh, several major spills in Alberta just in the last couple of years, and one that occurred in 2011 just before the federal election in Little Buffalo. So I think this is starting to heighten the anxiety associated with the construction of oil pipelines. And, And what do you make of the relationship that's now developing between the governing bodies, particularly the provinces here, B.C. in particular, and the federal government, and how one seems to be in favor and the other one diametrically opposed. Yeah, the uh, the province of British Columbia uh, has sort of come out against the Northern Gateway Pipeline to some degree and has suggested uh, these sort of five criteria to permit the pipeline to be constructed. Um, this is not entirely unique. British Columbia's government has been ambivalent about uh, oil transportation on its coast from the 1970s right up to the present. Uh, in the late 1970s, the big concern over oil was the shipping of Alaska oil through the Strait of Juan de Fuca, uh, and the British Columbia government came out against that. That because of the risks associated with tanker spills uh, off the coast. So BC is actually playing a fairly traditional role uh, in the uh, debate today. 
Let's look at safety because you've also researched the safety of pipelines in this country. A key concern mm-hmm. in this proposal, of course, is the safety involved here and the damage which a leak could cause to the environment. What's mm-hmm. your view on how pipelines compare to other modes of transportation like rail or truck, for example? Um, well, the general consensus is that oil pipelines uh, are uh, less prone to spill than uh, trucking or uh, rail shipment. Um, but I don't think that should lead us to think that oil pipelines are safe systems for shipping oil. Oil is a hazardous material, uh, and pipelines are prone to spills. They're just less risky uh, than rail or uh, truck uh, shipping, but they're still likely to spill. Uh, on our national network of oil pipelines from 2000 to 2009, uh, there were 427 liquid hydrocarbon spills, totaling 10.1 million liters of oil spilled across the network. Um, So uh, the construction of this pipeline across British Columbia, uh, though it may be safer than trucking or shipping by rail, uh, it's still likely to be prone to oil spills somewhere along the line. Now, Sean, I understand you have a personal story as to why you became interested in this topic in particular. Uh, yeah, I was uh, a uh, professor of environmental history at Mount Royal University in 2010-2011, uh, uh, and uh, a big oil spill uh, took place just before the federal election in 2011 in Little Buffalo, Alberta. 28,000 barrels of oil spilled, and uh, the environment minister of the province came out and said that uh, you know the spill record in the province was really good and that these things were, were uncommon. So as a historian, of course, when I hear someone say that something is uncommon, I want to look into this and see if that's in fact true. And I discovered that oil spills in the province of Alberta are actually uh, staggeringly more common than I thought. Between 2006 and 2010, there were 1,647 oil spills on the pipeline network just in the province of Alberta. 1,647 spills. That's 27.7 million liters of oil spilled across the province. Uh, So I was as surprised as anyone else, uh, especially in light of the fact that the spill in 2011 was described as unusual. <laughs> exactly. So generally, uh, now that you, you know, originally were involved in Alberta, now in Ontario, when you look at this, what's going on here with the Northern Gateway from a distance, what are your impressions? Well, as a historian, I'm trying to find an analogy uh, to think about what the Northern Gateway Pipeline could look like. And the closest analogy would be the Trans Mountain Pipeline, which connects Edmonton and Burnaby. This pipeline was constructed in 1953, and as we can expect based on the broader recent record, that pipeline's experience spills as well. For example, in 1973, it spilled 1,000 uh, barrels of oil in Jasper National Park. Um, so these pipelines have a, uh, have a long history uh, in Canada. And it's a history that shows that they're not spill-proof. They're not perfect systems for transporting oil. So the communities in the path of the proposed Northern Gateway Pipeline do need to assess the risk, uh, as well as assess what potential benefits might come from the pipeline. And as we're already hearing in Victoria, uh, there's a fairly loud consensus that the uh, risks uh, outweigh the benefits. Sean, thanks for your time this morning. Thank you, Rick. Take care. Bye-bye.